morning. Uh, now listen, we live in a bit of a harsh world, don't we? Life can be a bit tough sometimes. We can get flack from friends, from culture, from, from people around us. It can be a difficult world that we grow up in. When I was 13 years old, I can remember vividly uh, trying to kind of get on in life, trying to impress in life, trying to make a mark amongst my peers. And uh, it was 13 years old. We were away on a camp somewhere in the countryside. I can't remember where we were. And a whole bunch of lads were there. We were camping outside by a forest, having a few days away and having a great time getting to know each other. But I wanted to make my mark. I wanted to be seen as different. I wanted to be able to be seen as looking cool and, and the one who kind of stood out from the rest of the crowd. And on one particular day, we'd been there for a couple of days, we went for a walk in the forest, and uh, there was this lake or large pond we came across. Uh, and there was uh, around the side of the lake a, a, a very small island which was close to one of the shores. And someone had put a makeshift kind of bridge between the side of the uh, edge of the lake and, and the little island itself. And I thought, right, this is a great opportunity to stand out from the rest of the crowd. This is a great opportunity to look cool and to be seen as different from everyone else. So I walked over this plank, this piece of wood, and I got, I found myself and I got to the island. I thought, good, wow, done it, all sorted. Everyone would look at me and think, Mark is pretty good and pretty cool and he's made it to the other side of the island. But I didn't stop there. I should have quit. I should have kind of stopped when I was ahead. But I didn't stop there. No, I went back again onto the plank, onto the piece of wood, and started showing and telling my friends, look, look at this. This is great. This is cool. You can stand here too. You can, you can jump up and down, and you can kind of get to the other side of the island. But that was a big mistake. Because by doing that, I slipped and ended up head over heels into the lake, all of my friends wetting themselves with laughter, and the nickname for about two school years was Squidgy Mark. It didn't go well. You see, we try, don't we, in life to earn our way to be seen to being good. We try and earn our way to a place of approval. The world is set up that way. The world is set up that you earn your way to a place of significance. Culture tells you you need to feel good, look good, and do good. Religion tells you you need to follow the rules, follow the laws, and any failure means eternal rejection. Parents are wonderful, beautiful parents. So often we struggle because we never meet their approval. We feel we have to earn their approval. Everywhere we look, the world is harsh. The world judges us and marks us. Companies grade our performance. We earn reward points for shopping in certain stores. The justice system will clamp down on any misdemeanors. Sports the world of sports has no place for those who fail. You miss a penalty, you miss a basket, you miss a kick at the end of the NFL game, you will have no 
place in the team. We see magazines that mark the the 500 richest people in the world. It's a harsh world out there. Let me read a quote to you by Gordon MacDonald, which says this. The world can do anything as well, or if not better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build homes, to feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. I want to talk about grace, the grace factor. You see, during a British conference on world religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. And the debate went on and on for hours, and then in walked into the room C.S. Lewis, the man who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And he heard what the debate was about, and he said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. Grace is what is unique. Grace is what is different about Christianity to all other world faiths. Let me give you a little illustration to illustrate this. All world religions say that mankind is in trouble. Mankind has messed up and got things wrong. If you think of it, mankind is in a pit. Mankind is unable to get out of its own mess. There are walled sides either side. There is no way out. But each of the world religions offers some kind of a way out. Hinduism says, well, it's about your karma. It's about living a good life. And maybe, just maybe, you may come back better next time. And then maybe, just maybe, you may come better back the next time. But equally, you might slip down the pecking order. Judaism says, well, there are the Ten Commandments. And there are the 613 Pharisaical laws. And if you follow those Ten Commandments, if you follow those 613 laws, then you might find your way able to climb out of the pit. But anyone knows that's impossible to fulfill the Ten Commandments to the letter every single days of our life. Islam says, well, it's about the five pillars of Islam. It's about the way of living your life by set rules that you can please Allah and you can set the scales in your favor and maybe, just maybe, you will climb your way out. Christianity says, you can't get out. You've messed up and fallen short. And if you picture that man in a pit, it's like a helicopter comes above. A man is let down and there is Jesus. And he says, if you put your faith and trust in me, I will rescue you. I will take you out of your mess. It's not anything that you do. It's all what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Grace, if you try and define it, is undeserved kindness. It's a gift that is free of charge. It's a gift that you get that you don't deserve. It is what Jesus has done for us. Now, I believe that grace is something you have to illustrate and experience. It's not really something that is intellectually explainable. So I'm going to do a little illustration. I need two volunteers. You haven't got to say anything, but two volunteers. Anyone going to come up? Two volunteers. Don't all volunteer at once, okay? Yep, at the back with a blue T-shirt. Let's have one of the young people. Let's have a kill Yep. 
if you two. Right. You're not going to have to say anything, but I'm going to give each of you two young gentlemen, a, come up to the front, come up to the front. I'm going to give you a piece of paper, and I want you to make a paper aeroplane. Okay? Come up onto the front, and I'm going to make you a paper aeroplane. While you're doing that, I'm going to explain what is going to happen. Okay? So grace needs to be illustrated. You're going to make a paper aeroplane. Okay? In a moment, I'm going to set a place where you are going to throw your paper aeroplane. And if you get your paper aeroplane into this hoop, okay, I will give you 10 pounds. I told you you should have volunteered. <laughs> Too slow to volunteer. Okay, you should have volunteered. Young people, ah, oh, wish I'd, wish I'd. Anyway, so if you get your paper aeroplane into this hoop, in front of all these people, you will get 10 pounds. But if you miss, I'm sorry, the rules are you don't get anything. We'll, we'll give you a clap. We'll say thank you for participating, but you won't get anything from me, okay? Is that, is that fair? Do you understand that, guys? Yeah, yeah. Is that fair enough? Okay. All right. So I would like you to go and stand over there. You can go first. Okay. Go and stand on the edge of that black piece of, yeah, there. Okay. And um, I'm going to put this here. Okay. All right. So, okay. If that will give you a build up. Okay. One, two, three. Okay. We'll give you a build up. But if you can get your paper airplane, I'm not going to move you. Don't worry. I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I'm not. So, uh, you thought I might, but I'm not. I'm not. Okay. So if you get your paper airplane in, ten pound. If you miss, we'll give you a round of applause. Sit down. Fair enough. Okay. Go back, please, onto the edge. That's it. Perfect. All right. You ready? Here you go. I'm not going to move. When you're ready, Achilles. Over to you. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Go sit down for a moment. Remind me of your name. Greg, go and stand in exactly the same place as Achilles. This is your day to come to church. Here you go. Oh. Round of applause. Round of applause. Have a seat. Have a seat. Have a seat. Okay, so very unfortunate. We could have given away some money today. Very, very unfortunate. Now, the Bible says in Romans 3 verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now that word sinned is an archery term in the Greek. It means to miss the target. That's what it means. Sin, it means to miss the target, exactly like Achilles and Greg did. They just missed the target. They knew what the target was, but they missed the target. So by the rules of the challenge, they don't deserve anything. Okay? They did not hit. They did not meet. They did not get the plane through the hoop and accept and meet the challenge. In our lives, okay, we all mess up. We all get things wrong. But here's the grace of God. Achilles, come here. Here's the grace of God. Did you deserve this? Did you get your plane through the hoop? This is grace. There you go. Greg. Don't worry, I have another one. Greg? Do you deserve this? Did you, did you earn it? There you go. Okay, there you go. So that's an illustration. We don't do that every week at church, by the way. Just We don't do that every week at church. Um, but that is an illustration of God's 
grace. We in our lives sin. We fall short. We get things wrong. We mess up. But the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, is you get what you don't deserve. You get salvation through Jesus Christ, even though in our lives we sin and fall short of the glory of God. Look at this next uh, quote that will come up on the screen. Grace is shockingly personal. God rejoices not because the problems of the world have been solved, not because all human pain and suffering has come to an end, not because thousands of people have converted and are now praising him for his goodness. No, God rejoices because one of his children who was lost has been found. God's grace is highly personal. God's grace is there for each and every one of you. I want to give you one more illustration, okay? I'm into illustrations today. Just one more illustration to illustrate grace, okay? So we've got a ladder here, okay? And I think so often in our lives, we think in our lives, right, I've done well in my life. I've done some good things. I'm going up in the world. I look good. I've done well. I've done good. But then we mess up. We have a bad week. We have a bad period in our life, and we feel like we're going back down the ladder. And if we're not careful, we can feel that our whole life is just going up and down, up and down the ladder. We can feel that that is how we live our life. We try and earn our salvation. We feel like we mess up and we get things wrong. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is Jesus has made it to the top. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross and rose again. And his hand is there at the top saying, Mark, put your faith and your trust in me. Mark, trust me and I will rescue you. I will give you what you don't deserve. It's not about what you do. It's about what's been done on the cross through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are two people in Scripture that I just want to briefly introduce you to. Because two people in Scripture that we're going to meet very briefly um, from the Gospels, people who met Jesus, illustrate this point really well. They illustrate what it looks like to try and earn your salvation, to try and earn your place with God, and then you have an experience with the Lord Jesus and being changed by the grace factor, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So just for two minutes, I want to introduce you to the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Firstly, the rich young ruler, he was a man who on the outside had everything together. On the outside, he looked perfect. He was your archetypal Jewish man. He was the guy that everybody looked up to. He knew the scriptures. He dressed well. He had the perfect life. He looked on the outside like he had it all together. And he comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And let's just read a couple of verses from scripture. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And listen to what he says. All these I have kept since I was a boy. He's thinking, I've smashed this. I've got this. But then Jesus heard him and he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. 
and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Here's what religion tells us. Here's what the world tells us. There's always one more thing. One more thing. For that man, for that particular rich young ruler, the one thing he needed to do was to sell his possessions, give them to the poor, and follow Jesus. But the principle is there's always one more thing when it comes to religion. There's always one more thing when it comes to the world we live in. We think we're doing well. We think we've got the latest fashion, but there's always one more thing. We think we've reached the top of the ladder of our career, but there's always one more person who is above us. We think we've done really well with our family. We think we've done really well with our friendship groups, but there's always one more thing to deal with. There's always one more issue to sort out. You see, however well you are doing in life, there is always more. There is always one more thing to do. That, that's religion. That's what the world tells us. There's one more thing to do. But look at the grace factor. Look at Jesus and Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a very little man, but Zacchaeus was a tax collector. In modern terms, he was the drug the drug guy. He was the drug lord. He was the person that people would have hated in a neighborhood because he was messing with the neighborhood. He was getting rich at the expense of others. So this was a hated individual. But Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. So the Bible tells us he climbs up a tree because Jesus is coming along the way. And then let's just read the few verses from Luke's gospel. When Jesus reaches the spot, he looks up to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Okay, I love that. Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus into his house. When Jesus comes into our life, there is joy. There is gladness. There is something that changes when Jesus comes into our lives. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to them, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What's fascinating here is Jesus hadn't told him what to do here. But when grace comes into our life, we are changed from the inside out. That's what grace does. It changes us from our hearts. It changes then our actions once Jesus comes and lives and dwells inside our hearts. Zacchaeus knew he needed to sort out his past. He needed to pay people back the money that he owed them. Jesus said to him today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So in those two characters from scripture, you have the rich young ruler. Do one more thing. Do one more thing. Your life is good. You're doing well, but do one more thing. That's what it can feel like in our lives with culture, with religion. 
But the grace factor through the Lord Jesus Christ says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care about your background. I don't care about the mess in your life. I don't care about your social status or whatever is going in your life. I just want you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your friend, and ask Jesus to come into your life. You see, you can sum it all up like this. It is not about what we do. It is about what is done on the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just to close tell you a story, a true one, about me and my wife, Jen. Jen was leading the meeting. Uh, before kids, BK, before kids, not Burger King, but before kids, okay? So before kids, when we were married, uh, it was those Saturdays when we used to go and explore different places. And one particular Saturday, we were in the car, and we'd gone out to Blue Water. We'd gone on the uh, A2 from East London out into Blue Water, and uh, we had a great time shopping, and maybe we watched a movie, I can't remember what we did, but we had a great day out, the two of us. But my wife, who's very wise, said to me as we were driving to Blue Water, oh, you better check the petrol, because I think it's on the orange. Oh, it's fine. We'll get home. Not, don't worry. We'll get home. No problem. Okay, get to Blue Water. Spend your day. Have a great time. Driving back into London on the A2, and that dial has gone from orange to red. And I'm a little bit worried, although I didn't want to say anything. I'm a little bit anxious, although I certainly didn't say anything. What's going to happen? Are we going to make it through the Blackwood Tunnel, through the last bit of the journey to get to our house, to get to our home, our flat that we lived in at that time at West Ham? Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And all the time you were kind of praying, and it, like, like this, you were driving, you're like, I don't want Jen to see the, the petrol dial. It's like, not see the petrol dial. Um, and, and we were driving and driving, and I was like, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, multiply, multiply the petrol, multiply the petrol. You know, do this, do this. And as we went down the slope into the Blackwall Tunnel, I put my foot on the accelerator, and I knew there was no gas. <laughs> there was nothing. There was no power. There was nothing happening. So we were kind of rolling underneath the Blackwood Tunnel. We were rolling underneath the River Thames, okay? And I told you so, all of that, of course, you know, all of that. But there you are, you're stuck, completely stuck. So you put the hazard lights on, and you're rolling slowly, 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 almost to a halt. And right behind us is a massive lorry. Huge, big, kind of one of those big mama lorries that was right behind us. The guy's honking his horn. Why are you going at like two miles an hour okay, in the middle of the Blackwall Tunnel? Okay? And literally, we, we ground to a halt. And I was like, oh, no. What happens here? <laughs> I mean, what happens? How do you get out of this? How do you get out of this scenario? So I literally had my head in my hands. I don't know what we were going to do. And give it a kind of about two minutes, this knock comes on the window. And it was the lorry driver who got down and he goes, hey, mate. And I was like, he's going to have a go at me. He's going to punch me. He's really annoyed, whatever. I don't know what's going to happen. He said, hey, mate. I was like, yeah. He said, have you run out of petrol? I was like, yes. What an idiot. He said, look, I know you haven't got a really nice car, which was true. It was a battered up <laughs> Ford Focus. All right. He said, I know you haven't got a very nice car. He said, but if you want. Okay, I'll push you out. 
bumper to bumper. He said, as long as you can steer, okay, I'll push you out. And then when you get the other side, pull in, and there's a petrol station just up there. Get a can of petrol, and you can sort yourself out. I was like, he said, look, I'm not going to take any damage for your car because you don't look great. I was like, okay, okay. I take the point. I take the point, okay? So that's what happened. He, he kind of like gently kind of came up to the back of our bumper, handbrake off, steer, and literally this big lorry pushed us out of the Blackwall Tunnel. We parked up just uh, outside once we got past the tunnel and past the bits and pieces. And, you know, I was like, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You're my savior. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you've done. Okay. And then nip up and get a can of petrol and we make it home. Okay. That story, that story is a picture of our lives. Okay. We are stuck. There's nothing that you or I can do. Okay. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need a savior. And the Savior's name is Jesus. In that instance, it was a rough, gruff, lorry lorry driver who pushed us out. But we need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And it is Jesus' grace. It is Jesus' kindness. It is the gift of the Lord Jesus that saves us and takes us out of our predicament, out of our mess, and puts our feet upon the rock. The famous theologian Karl Barth was asked once in an auditorium in Chicago, what's the greatest theological truth in all of the Bible? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Apostle John, who wrote four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, And John was the youngest of the disciples, and he wrote John's gospel. And in John's gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. He doesn't refer himself as John. He refers himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Again and again, there's about seven references in the gospel of John. And each time he refers to himself in different settings and scenarios, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. Let me tell you, if you're a Christian today, that word is for you. You are the disciple whom Jesus loves. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know him as your Lord and Savior. And you can know Jesus. And Jesus will say to you, you are the one whom I love. Mark, Jesus loves you. Mark, the disciple whom Jesus loves. So grace is a gift from God. The grace factor changes everything. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There is a gift that is there waiting for every single one of us. It's got your name on it. And it says, Jesus loves you. Would you accept that gift and enjoy the wonder, the joy of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to pray. 
And then the band are going to come up. We're going to sing a final song before we close. Just two quick things before I pray. Firstly, uh, we've got these booklets called Why Jesus? And if you just like to take one a new way out, please do. They're free of charge. It just tells you a little bit more about what I've been talking about. A little bit more about Jesus. A little bit more about who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and what it means to put our faith and trust in him. So we've got about 25 of these. So do take one of these if you'd like to. No strings attached. Just take it and have a read, have a look through. And secondly, just to say, if you are a Christian here today, and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I just say to you, the grace of our Lord Jesus brings joy. It brings joy. Let's not be like the rich young ruler in there's one more thing. There's one more thing. Because even as Christians, we can act like that. We can act like we've still got to earn God's salvation. We've still got to earn. We've still one more thing. No, let the joy of the grace of the Lord come to your house. Let it resonate through your family and in your lives. Let joy, joy be what resonates through your life and through your family, through the grace of God.